Bye. Welcome back. Welcome to you into this year episode. Um, I'm going to call it 32, although that's probably wrong, of my Mrs. Maisel pod. Thank you so much for joining me on this day. I'm recording the very first day of 2024. Yeah. It was a beautiful day here in uh, Southern California where I reside. Um, yeah. Holidays were, uh, you know, trouble-free, so always a blessing. I hope yours were as well. And I'd love to hear from you about your holidays as well as what you thought of this uh, episode uh, with Emily Burgle. Yeah, who plays Tess. Yeah, Tess Meyerson, sister to Susie. Uh, we talk so much about Emily's incredible talents. Write to me. Let me know uh, what you think about uh, your holidays, what you thought about your holidays, what you think about this episode, and also... Any questions, follow-up, comments for Emily Burgle at mymrsmaislepot at gmail.com. But first, here is my conversation with Emily Burgle. Enjoy. And now, ladies and Jews, please welcome Emily Burgle. Emily! How are you this fine day in the New York City? I am fabulous. It's it's a crisp day here. Sure. Um, I've just been, you know, I've been, I'm, I've decided to approach my middle age, just embracing it. So I've spent a couple hours at a hotel liquidation sale. Genius. Just going through piles of chairs. Uh-huh. So I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm like an old New Yorker. I'm there. And that's always been my dream. Yeah. So it's been achieved. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. Now, this was a very exciting day already. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're already a winner. I am. Um, I like to start off um, by, you know, sort of diving a little bit into your introduction to the Maisel world. How did this all begin for you? Oh, my gosh. Well, this really all began in, it really all began in 1994 when I did a play with this very talented actress, Liza Weil. And we became very close friends. And then we went to LA and she was having, this was the 90s. So she was having a meeting with casting at Warner Brothers. I Mm -hmm. ended up, I had an audition there. I ended up crashing the meeting. We ended up smoking cigarettes in the office and we both got holding deals. Ha ha! Back in the, those, they used to have holding deals back in the day. I don't think they and, have those anymore. And allowed smoking in the office. I mean, it was yes. a different time. <laughs> it was. It so was literally levels. a different century. Yeah, yeah. So, I did this pilot through my holding deal called Sullivan Street with Ed Redlick, mm-hmm. um, and Liza did this little pilot called The Gilmore Girls. Oh my yes. And um, obviously that went really well. Interesting fact, Liza actually auditioned for the role of Rory originally. And I believe that Amy wrote the part of Paris for her. Wow. Or developed it for her. Mm -hmm. And um, cut to, I think the next season, Liza called me and said, there's a perfect part for you on Gilmore Girls. And it was really interesting because um, I, I was still, I was 27 and I was still playing teenagers and, but I had just played Dakota Fanning's mother in a miniseries. 
Wow, what a range. So, uh, it was it was hilarious because older actors would say to me, older actresses particularly would say, oh, you're going to go straight from like ingenues to mom. But I really, and then it went back to Gilmore Girls. So I actually went from a, from a teenager to a mom of a nine-year-old back to a teenager. And that's when I actually called my agent and I said, no, I can't. I can't do this anymore. Yeah, no. I can't a, do this anymore. Were you a teen mom when you were playing the mother? I had to go from like 19 to 28. So oh, well done. It made sense. It made yeah. sense. But you know, well, our, it, it was good. It was, I think really bad advice given to actors, especially women is, Oh, just play as young as you can for as possible for long as possible. But I just said, no, I'm going there. Good for you. Yeah, Will Arnett still claims his range is 19 to 28. Oh, I, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know I'm getting you a really long answer to this. So no, after, no, no. So I did Gilmore Girls. I did yeah. Gilmore Girls and, of course, became a huge Amy and Dan fan. And the, at one point, I was I, I, there was a possibility that I was going to do Bunheads, the next mm. show. Yeah. But that didn't work out. And then I heard they had this cool new show and I got invited to the premiere. Yikes. And I went with Kelly Bishop as my date because we had done a play together called oh, wow. Becky Shaw at Second Stage. I have I took notes on these episodes. I have basically done plays with everybody in this series. Yes. Um, except I went, for me. I refuse yes. to theater. <laughs> We've never even spoken to each other on this well, show either. I think not on the show. At Table Reads, we certainly had pleasantries. But yes, yeah. we have. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So I go to the I go to this premiere, and I I had been doing I had re, kind of reinvented myself as this as a cabaret singer, and I had done my, this vintage cabaret show at the Oak Room at the Carlisle, and I toured it around the country. Wow. And when I saw the show, I thought I heard they were in the Catskills. I thought, oh my goodness, I could be one of the acts at the Catskills. Yes. Because they had a whole cabaret circuit back then that would do all those camps. Of course. So I wrote to Amy and Dan and I sent them a link to my album. Nice. Suggesting this. Yeah. I did not hear back anything and I felt really stupid. I'm not knocking them. I just felt... You know, when you reach out and then you think, oh, you're such a dork asking <laughs> yeah. someone for a job. Oh, hey, guess what? I've got an idea for a job you could give me. <laughs> a really clever idea, but yeah. it still, still needs you agreeing to give me a job. Right. Yeah. But then season two, they called me and said, we have this part for you. Lo and, and behold. Yes. And you're going to sing. I mean, here's the deal. If you hadn't reached out and made an investment in your future, perhaps that call doesn't come. Uh, that's, so I there's think no very possible being proactive in one's life or career is the best. About 15 years ago, I started this self-proclaimed mantra. If you're not creating, you're waiting. Oh. You know, our our art mm-hmm. form Ex- sort of exists and insists that we wait for the phone to ring and I say yeah fuck that fuck that I've yeah, I've yeah. taken a page out of your book and I've I've also not been waiting yeah feels if good not, if you're not creating you're waiting and oof and that works for life as well as your as one's career yeah mm, mm-hmm. and because you did not wait but to create in season two you come aboard and get to sing as you said 
Well, I don't sing until this season. Yes. So course. when they told when I read the character, I said, Oh, that's so sweet that they said I'm gonna sing. That's never gonna fucking happen. <laughs> and it took a while. It took a while. And it finally it's happening this season. And Amy and Dan said they had it on their board. Emily sings for years. <laughs> I do think it's funny that there's Tony winning Broadway musical theater stars on the show, and I'm the one singing. Well, Tony Shalhoub, who picked up one of those Tonys in a musical, will tell you he's not actually a singer. I, my, my favorite singers, a lot of my favorite singers are actors who, who sing, who you mean like really Don deliver John the lyrics. You mean it's, like Don Johnson and Bruce Willis and Eddie Murphy, that kind of thing? No, like more like Richard Harris. Oh, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that cake is still out in the rain, isn't it? Yep. For, for old Dick Harris. Um, but when you do come aboard in season two, sans singing initially, uh, what is that entree like after the, after the phone call, we have something for you. Um, so I just show up at Steiner studios, magical um, place that it is by season two, magical place that it is. And what I really appreciated about the whole process was that they, everyone had a, a little bit of a different vision for the character because I'm Susie's sister. And the vision was that um, I would be, I would dress like Susie, mm. that I would look like Susie, which makes sense because I'm represent, I'm, I'm always representing the poor women. I really, I really want to do a job where I, where I play a rich lady who wears makeup. Um, uh -huh. So, I came to my um, costume fitting mm -hmm. and um, Donna, our amazing costume designer, had these kind of brown drab clothes. And I said, you know, when you're poor, sometimes you really make the extra effort. And I said, I think she should have like polka dots and a yeah, bad platinum dye job, oh, got yeah. a red lipstick. And what's wonderful about working on this show is that people actually may as well want to hear your ideas. <laughs> Once you're there, yeah. When you write them ahead of time and say, I have an idea where I sing on the show, they don't listen so well. But once you're there, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> then they really want your involvement and participation. And as genius as Donna is, um, and man, oh, man, oh, just one of a kind crazy savant of, yes. of goodness and 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 ideas and execution and so the fact that you said platinum and polka dots and and that's what happened is lovely to hear this is i always tell this story about the show this is the kind of now i have dan will tell you there's some ideas i have that they say uh no sure um i was doing a scene in a rowboat where we're drinking beers. Oh yeah, yeah. And I said, "Hey, can I reach into the water and the the beers are in a net chilling in the ocean?" I love and the idea. Amy just makes it happen. And another show they'd be like, mm, "Yeah, okay, we don't have time to get a net." And <laughs> it was it it backfired on me though cuz it turned out that that's where the boats got rid of their waste. We were Sure. Where sure. we and were, then you so. had to touch that water. Yes, I did. I had to drink, put my mouth to it. Oh, hello. Yeah, you can see me gingerly wiping it. 
uh-huh. in, in one of the um, shots. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there could be bodies floating in there, too. Let's face it. Um, there are definitely bodies floating in there. I don't think there could be there. There yeah. are. And, and long ago floating. They've sunk since. Yeah. Let's be, let's be yeah. clear. Uh, so the polka dots and the platinum blonde. It totally happens. It's just great. Alliteration. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. It's, it's you know, watching. Maybe I'm that's so, the book. I don't know. That That's the title of my autobiography. Certainly a chapter. Right. Uh, yeah, yes. It's got to be a name of a chapter. A section. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it, I thank you so much for forcing me to rewatch these because it was, Fun, right? yes, it really, it's, it, it's, it's like strolling down memory lane of your own life. Yeah. And also a magical world that we all feel incredibly grateful to have been any part of. That's yes. the thing about revisiting these episodes. Cause yes. you know, maybe you watch them once. Some don't watch them at all because they can't. I only um, watch once because I start to criticize myself after the, I watch it yeah, once. I only watched them once uh, initially. And, you know, I, I've i been a fan of the show to the point where when we have a table read, I'll, you know, we get the scripts often the night before, like almost every actor. I just go to my parts to see how much I need to work on before the table read because you don't mm-hmm. want to be a cold reading at the table read. Right. And then some I allow people the, do. I don't. Of course, some people do. But uh, then, then I like the table read to sort of wash over me as a first time performance. Mm-hmm. And when when I'm not reading my part, I put my script down, and unlike everyone else at the table who is reading and following along, I look up and watch our our peeps uh, go through this and perform it for the first time at the table. It's really kind of magical. Then. I try my damnedest to forget everything I'm not in, which is not that hard as you get older. <laughs> it's not that hard at all. And so then by the time it airs or drops, um, I've pretty much forgotten most of it. So in the second viewing of these episodes, I've really forgotten again. And it's, it is magical to, to visit this world. I forgot one of my scenes entirely. I said, oh, there you go. I did not remember that one. Yes. Isn't that great? It was. It was was like a whole new show. Yeah. Well, this was a magical episode. And if you if you would like to, let's let's jump into it and sort of break it down a little bit. Does it sound like fun? I would love to do that. Can I give you a little personal backstory? Sure. This episode, it was actually the first day of my daughter's life where she did not see me when I shot this episode because I had, she was two then and I was shooting a movie in New Jersey and I had to go right to far Rockaway at four in the morning. I was shooting in Jersey really late at night. And then I got home at the end of the night. It was the first day that I never, that I didn't, my daughter didn't see me that day. That's a big damn deal. It was. And it felt actually good is the wrong word, but it didn't, it felt okay. I've given now I'm, carving out space for things that are really special like this yeah you probably felt a, a sense of relief that it wasn't agonizing um it was not yeah it was strange but it was not the only yeah. thing that was agonizing was that i wrapped in new jersey at midnight and then i had to be in far rockaway at 4 30 in the morning always fun um and 
as you can see in the episode, we're shooting at a real house in Rockaway at the end of a real dock. Mm. I discovered that day that I do not get seasick on boats, but I do get seasick on docks. That's a fun thing to discover while working. It, it really was. Um, also, it was 100 degrees out and the scene was tented for night or Oof. just tented for some kind of light. Yeah. We were smoking fake cigarettes. Mm. And I'm in the, in the tent inside the tent, the fake, which are grosser than real cigarettes, actually. For sure. And I am also serving onion, sour cream, onion dip that is as the day goes on, feeling. So I don't remember exactly which shots there are, but there are some shots in that scene where I have just puked in front of the entire crew off the side of the dock of the house. Yeah. <laughs> the things we do for our yeah sacrifices yeah. we make. You don't get, when you're about to puke, I gave one of my greatest auditions for my first Broadway show, The Line in Winter. I gave one of my greatest auditions ever because I was about to throw up. I did it like, 10 minutes after the audition because you can't be in your head when you're just trying not to throw up there you go advice to you kids out there mm -hmm. yeah. when, when auditioning see if you can't uh start salivating prematurely oh wow well thank you for sharing that that's awesome that's incredible these are the sort of insights that uh your fan of the meso broadcast need and crave and I am grateful to you for sharing that very much. Um, so season three, episode seven, we started Shirley and Moish's house uh, with the opening shot of Midge in bed with the eye sleep mask covering her eyes and is woken by Shirley yelling, there's a man yeah. on, the, on the phone yelling. And you need and you need to make sure you're on time. Oh, that joke never gets old. Um, but then the, on the phone, yeah. she's a man. But <laughs> then it's the, brilliant because then does then Alex thinks that Shirley's a man at the end yep, of it. Yeah. Which yeah. I never if, saw coming. Yeah. And on the phone of the two, I think Caroline would be the first to admit she sounds potentially more like a man. And it's I, because uh -huh. she's got that Lucille ball in the last 10 years, a card in a day. Mm -hmm. I aspire to to be able to have that sound someday. Well, maybe to, maybe to, to access it, to yeah. access it, access it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the key. Yeah. Um, we were talking earlier before we started. Caroline lives on my oh, block. On yeah, my yeah. block. Crazy. And you don't never see seen her, her. Never seen her buying a pack, as you said. Never seen her um, at the NYC deli buying a pack. That's bizarre to me. In fact, if I were in law enforcement and needed to track her down, I would definitely stake out wherever one, whatever one might buy back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She's going to need smokes at some point, fellas. Um, so then we have Midge on the subway and we're reminded as she yells out, hands, elbow, foot, locks, hands, mm. that it's a bit crowded mm. uh, mm -hmm. on, the, on the commute. Um, and then she whisked off to the recording studio. And I, I love these scenes. I'm sure you went through, I think at some point we all go through the um, auditioning for commercial voice. 
stuff, right? Oh, I tried to do that for a decade and they just they just weren't having me. It's bizarre because I'm known for voices and accents mm -hmm. and things. And I would even I, I would first try my own voice and then I would do a, a bit of a Casey Kasem. Then I would do a bit of a voice of God thing. And then I do that Will Arnett thing. I mean, I Ooh. could give you every range Ooh. of a voice, for goodness sake. And nope, they, they just want Will Arnett. <laughs> they just, um, I have the over-under, I guess, now at five times that I will mention his name. I don't know why it's coming up so much today. So at Maybe the recording... he'll appear the sixth time we invoke him. Ooh, that would be nice. Um, we just started texting again. I heard him on some podcast giving me credit for starting his career because I was... There was Ooh. one one broadcast network sitcom that I helped create and produce, and and it was his first acting job in television. And uh, he's blaming everything else on me. Um, I love him to death. Anyway, uh, I love this Midge and Susie dance uh, with the various supporting cast. In this case, the great Joey Slotnick and Lucy DeVito appearing in these recording studio scenes of the ads. Um, pretty great, and 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 I and I I love the little brief hot dog lunch that they break away and have. I also, yeah. I love that location too. Unbelievable that font they just always capture it. Yeah, the and, the set deck on Maisel. You can go to a fake newsstand that's eighty bonkers. feet in the background, and they've got vintage candy bars. It's bonkers. It's bonkers. Yeah, the attention to detail. Is is historic. I'm just going to say it. Um, but then uh, Susie breaks off at one point to talk to her bookie, Junior, which makes me think: Did she have Junior meet her there, or did she select that hot dog stand because Junior said that's well there? Well, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's not specified. Mm, it isn't. Yeah, this is when Susie starts to kind of go off the rails. A little gambling problem developing. And then this one, in fact, Junior points out she's betting against herself. And she says, I have a system. Yeah, you've all got a system. Right. And I just want to say. Yes. Um, uh, give a poor one out for my um, former neighbor, Brian Tarantino. Uh, of course. Um, he is brilliant and. Always great as Jackie on the show. Yeah. Always great. Yeah. Yeah. And has a couple of great moments coming, mm -hmm. up, coming up in this episode. The next scene is back at Shirley and Moishe's and we're in the dining room as the family uh, breakfast at the proper dining table. And Moishe and Shirley are going on and on about seeing Bye Bye Birdie. I have a lot of notes about this because your Bye Bye Birdie monologue is brilliant. Oh, well, I didn't write it, but I certainly said it. It's master. I wrote masterpiece on it. That, yeah. That's that's all, Miss Amy. Um, no, it's that this, that's, it's actually one of my favorite scenes. Um, because also I, Bye Bye Birdie resonates with me because I was in it three times in high school, three times too many. Uh, uh, it's just the perfect example. Perfect example of. of I'm, I actually love, the, I love, I actually think there's some great tunes in Bye Bye Birdie. It's a classic yeah. musical. Yeah. Da 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 da. 
Oh. I could go on. Um, da, 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 da. But um, it's just, the if you could have picked one musical that's anti-Abe, mm. it's got to be that. Yeah, well, I just looked it up to make sure this episode was actually uh, written and directed by, by Dan Palladino um, with supporting writing, of course, from Amy and the team. Um, so, yeah, it, it the choice, once again, the specific choice of what mm-hmm. is the musical that Moish could throw in Abe's face. They just find the way, don't they? And they sure found it here. That's the one. The music is, I love the music in this episode. There's a couple songs that are really special to me that I actually do in my act, but- um, mm, Really? They've got Dream a Little Dream. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite Cole Porters, um, you'll be, you'd be so nice to come home to. Oh, yeah. I lo- really love the soundtrack on this one. Where can folks find this or these albums of yours? Oh, yes. Um, on the on this the the digital streaming. Wherever one gets music. Wherever one gets music. Then give us a title. Let's point people in the right direction. Absolutely. Um, it's uh, it's called um, uh, Emily Burgle Live the Algonquin. Well, hello. Mm-hmm. Great title. One of the last acts to play Perform- the historic Oak Room in the Algonquin oh my. Hotel before it became a Marriott Rewards breakfast bar. <laughs> uh, let me just look up the very definition of fall from grace. Up oh, there it is. You just yeah. described it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. But yeah. what a fine breakfast. Right. <sighs> but the muffins are great. <laughs> Yes. Um, I have notes here. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, I have that Amy and Alex and I all went out for clams afterwards in Sheephead's Bay. After (laughs) after After what? After filming. Oh. um, After filming my end of the scene. Because have you talked about this, how as we have to be there for our off camera. Have you talked about this in your podcast? We have, but please mention your experience doing it. Cause I like well, everyone to weigh in on this and it may become its own episode. Um, I mean, how much do I wish I was Michael? I'd love yeah, to be doing no, Michael, my off camera in Paris. Michael's at the top of the pyramid. Yeah. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Um, but I think it's I really I think it's great. I mean, I can uh, look, I'm an actor, I can imagine, but it's always nice if the other end of your phone, your phone calls and a script supervisor saying, but but Tessie, I didn't think that was going to happen. Yes. Yeah. And Alex has such amazing timing. It, and you She's want to be there. Incredible. Of course, I want to be there for her. I want there. I'm going to I want her there for me. Mm. Um, You know, Another piece of trivia, Alex and I worked together on Shameless. Oh, perfect. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I feel like we're almost like a Gracie and George Burns duo. I just, I, I That's love not a that. not bad deal. Part, I love that partnership. I just. Well, your guy's timing is impeccable. It's ridiculous. But, well, I mean, I feel like I'm trying to keep up with Alex a lot of the time. We all but, are. Yeah, but I mean, when it's just when you've got a scene partner where you're really throwing that ball back and forth, mm-hmm. 
um, is always such a pleasure. It really keeps you on your toes. Yes. Yes. Oh, oh, wait. Um, I almost dropped my mic. <clears throat> I almost dropped my mic into the ocean. Oh. Um, and the actress playing my mother was dropped twice from her stretcher. <laughs> well, this they, was a crazy day. They're all crazy days on Maisel, though. Yeah, no, but that's a wonder. And you're just standing there as they as, mm -hmm. on the phone uh, from, I guess, the front of the house while, while your and Susie's mom is being carried out. Yeah. And you're saying they dropped her twice. So they had stunt guys because they had a vintage stretcher. Mm. They had stunt guys dressed up in wardrobe to make sure she'd be okay. Of course I, they did. Well, it didn't quite work because I guess one of them had really sweaty palms. <laughs> and he <laughs> dropped this stretcher with this poor actress. Oh, God. And then on another take, he did it again. It happened mm. again. And then they were wrapping gaff tape around it. Wow. I'm sure you can attest to this. The great thing about Maisel is there's a whole other show going on when you film it because the actual behind the scenes is has a similar flavor to what we're putting on camera. Yes, and that's exactly all I want you to talk about. Oh my gosh, yes. Like yeah. you, the, the grips are like, oh my God, I thought she was going to go in the fucking ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bless them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're... they're um, invisible on camera but every one of them I and mean, we're so many too you know the the endless bottomless budget of the show also allows for a bountiful of these incredible mm -hmm. women and men behind the camera um but it sure is sure is fun to see them lose their shit everyone's at the top of their game Oh yeah, and you just never i mean look a tv show is by necessity you're kind of reinventing the wheel every day there's always a new crisis that's going to come up but mm -hmm. the, oh also the house we had so much camera equipment and it's mm -hmm. this it was talk about money to burn they chose to film at this real house the dock was like this skinny dock it must have been 300 feet long at least oh god rolling all those cameras out there we were actually afraid the house was going to sink into the ocean because there was so much weight of cameras. This From, house was falling apart. It sure, of course. Actually falling apart. And there was some question. You can't fake that on camera. You cannot fake that. And there was some question as to whether it was going to hold up. And it may not have hold up long, not too long after y'all packed up and moved on. I, I, we, I we don't doubt know. It's still there. Yeah, yeah, I can't. <laughs> also... I remember looking down and just seeing the details on Maisel. I just looked down and, oh, there's these people in a rowboat. Wait, they're in period costume. Just for like a tiny little piece of the background, mm -hmm. they had people in period costumes rowing in a rowboat as background. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Listen, we just have someone who walks behind Jeff Bezos and scoops up the money that falls out of his pockets. Right. And it turns out it's tens of millions of dollars. Yep. On a it weekly is. basis. And it goes yeah. right in right into our show. And and the and the catering for the table reads. I mean them Well, fan. I mean, my goodness. We that... need ice sculptures to be creatively inspired. Yeah. How am I supposed to read this without a chocolate fountain? Who do I have to Yeah. 
Um, back into the joy of the show. Uh, let's see. So, um, yeah, while while Moish is ribbing Abe about Bye Bye Birdie, Abe finally comes clean with some um, no longer money problems. He's got his end of days calculations, mm. <laughs> uh, which is just a joy. Also to write so strongly to that voice of Abe um, and then have it be physically articulated by the brilliant Shalhoub. Midge is very concerned, needless to say, about Abe's calculations because they call for his early demise. Everything's going to be fine as long as he gets out by age 67, 65. I feel like that's where our country, our world is heading. I mean, oh, yeah. everyone yeah, in at... England's got to die by 66 right now. Yep, <laughs> that's right. Thank yeah, you, there's, Ms. Truss. There's end of days calculations going on pretty seriously now, and, and they were invented uh in season three episode seven by dan palatino <laughs> uh mazelin roth joel archie don and manny uh discussing archie's new hopefully temporary living quarters within joel's also hopefully temporary living quarters in his office at mazelin roth um poor archie where is that office by the way that's what i was wondering was that on the that was diner that was built yep that was okay. built there we originally so shot we we originally shot in season one at a very very famous garment district uh, manufacturing facility that has been building presidents suits since I guess the forties maybe mm -hmm. all the way up to Obama mm. um, yeah we originally shot there and then um, they realized they wanted to build everything to control the elements and and so on so yeah they built everything. Well, I mean, Dan and Amy like control. I don't say that. Um, I say that in an admiring way. One of the other notes I took was, I think in the, is it this scene where the bird, this episode where the bird arrives at Susie's? Is it, or? Yeah, this is the episode, two birds. So, so we had to put a, not only a bird cage, but a cage around the entire set in case the birds oh, tried yes. to fly away. Of course. And I, I, I actually wrote it in my journal on that day. Amy said on that day, I wish I, I could keep all my actors in a cage. Yes. Fantastic. Not just, <laughs> that's so good. That's so good. And thank you for writing that down and sharing it. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, as a sometime director, I will say yes to that. I vote yes to, yeah. Um, and, and having shot, in practical locations as well as building sets on a soundstage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just being able to fly away a ceiling or a wall while you're shooting to accommodate camera and crew is just a gift beyond mm. description. Uh, once again, staying in Susie's apartment, Chester, Mr. Crisscross. I mean, this is just such a great reveal as Jackie is, uh, Jackie's in a tumble bed attached to the wall <laughs> just above Susie's Murphy bed. And then Chester's revealed just sitting in the corner. I the lived in an apartment like that with Liza Wilde, who also then played Shy Baldwin's bass player. Yes. On Gilmore Girls. I'm we lived we lived in an apartment that looked just like that with a with a tap dancer from Iowa and a stand-up comic named Peaches. Peaches? On 45th, yeah, Peaches. 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 Uh, on 45th Street. Four of you in that studio? Peaches was only there one night a week because 
that's when her boyfriend's kid came over, I think. But that it was me, right. Liza, right. that, and the tap tracks. dancer in yeah. a studio. Dear God, what? Yeah. It was wow. fun. It was actually really fun. I mean, you're young, I'm assuming, at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's how those are fun. True. And before, if I was saying, oh, it's a couple of weeks ago, maybe not so much. <laughs> It'd be tragic. Yeah. It'd be heartbreaking. Um, yeah. And it's perfect that they're in there. And then we go right back to Shirley and Moshe's, but to the front walkway as Abe and Rose exit and they look over and their hearts break as they see Zelda working for the next door neighbor. That's where that, Zelda found work. That's where they play. You'd be so nice to come home to. Yeah. Yeah. Right there. And it's a little on the nose, but perfect. Oh, it's fantastic just just to have that long that longing lovers love scene between them mm -hmm. every relationship on this show yeah there's a love yeah in fact we yeah that we we stay with abe and rose actually onto the subway where they contemplate picking up a loose dollar bill from the subway floor which no one should technically ever do um but we do see also a, a new side of their love uh a forced adventurous side they're they're going to make their own way in the world and we as viewers are are with them on this journey but also where the hell is this going sort of vibe mm -hmm. i felt watching mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but then the restaurant for the tea the high tea oh well you've just got to first uh, of all that location the location then... and the and the hats the hats. I talked to Donna a couple of episodes ago on the podcast about her book. You have to get a copy. It's on Amazon. I'm getting a copy and I have her sign it for me. Yeah, yeah. And and, and parts of it, there's a big two-page of, of photos of the, the ladies in hats. And and Marin's hat that just looked like a cake. Um, Plus... Marin and Vivian Banesh just oh, come on how to work you know I want to tell this story I don't think Vivian would mind mm. after she shot this scene I did a reading with Vivian and when she found out that I was doing the show she said oh my god I did a guest spot on that show and I was so out of my she felt that she had not she just felt terrible about it as any actor knows that feeling i just i was shooting something yesterday and the end i was like oh there's that there's that feeling when you feel like yeah. you kind of didn't get it or yeah. you just feel like an asshole if you're gonna act you're gonna feel like an asshole it's just sure. and the funny thing was that she was really worried about that scene and well, yeah. she was even telling me oh tell amy i'm usually much more on my game and Look at it. It's she's fucking brilliant. She's perfect. She's so perfect. just goes to show what you're I'm learning this now more. I'm learning now that what I'm sometimes I take on what I'm feeling in the scene, but it's not actually feelings aren't actually to do with how I'm a horrible actor. I mean, yeah, no. <laughs> Get out of your own way. Yes, I know. That is one of the hardest things to do. Um, I love in the scene also that Rose becomes a little obsessed as Corrine character is telling her about Benjamin selling his townhouse. Yes. Well, I mean, God, yeah. can you imagine that townhouse in the village now? Can you imagine having a shot at marrying 
Zach Levi. I mean, I, I mean, you know, in my notes, it's funny in my notes, I have, I once drank a cocktail in a bathtub with Zach Levi, which is true, but it was clothed. Okay. Also, I have in my notes, I made out with, um, uh, Martin Hinkle. Well, sure. At an audition. Aha. It was required, but I still enjoyed it. It still happened. Yeah. Yeah. And can we go back to the bathtub moment? <laughs> it was just this, you know, these um, speakeasies that have cropped up. Sure. We ended up going to be meeting through mutual friends. Uh-huh. And at this place called Bathtub Gin, where you just sat in empty bathtubs and drank. And what year was this? Oh, Definitely before I had my daughter. So definitely pre-2017. This was probably okay. um, 2000. Oh, I don't. 10. Honestly, sure. I mean, we're, the we're dates at this point. Date. I, it could be anywhere from like 1938 to 2014. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I'm, I was just yeah. trying to get, is this 94? When is this? Oh, no, this is definitely probably about, yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, um because i did i was through joel david moore because i'd just done a movie with him in seattle uh-huh and um we met at this bathtub gym place and um it was it was it was quite the capone-esque scene yeah that so you're saying the seating arrangement within the speakeasy your options were this bathtub or that one I think there were some actual seating, but there were many bathtubs available. This and we incredible. availed ourselves yeah. on them, upon them, in them. Into them. Why not? Why yeah. not? It sounds like a once in a lifetime opportunity, unless you happen to be a barfly at that particular speakeasy. But I will say, Zach Levi, that, that kiss, I mean, yeah. oh boy, so dreamy for the two of bit. them. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So Rose is really the one who's pining now and yes. we'll get to the scene later when she actually takes it upon herself to visit the good doctor at the hospital. But first we go to a heartbreaking scene at Columbia university where Abe is visiting campus. We're not sure why he sees oh, Simon, right. I think the Dean and he chases him down <laughs> across the lawns, up the stairs, around the bend to his office door where they make ridiculous small talk. We must get together. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, and he says, possibly before 65 or 67, <laughs> the call back to the um, end mm -hmm. of day's calculations. Mm -hmm. um, and then Abe shows up in his old classroom. Oh, it's so incredible because first the students are sort of vindictive. And when they look at him and interact as he calls them out, um, takes the chalk, makes some corrections on the book. Mm -hmm. Can't help himself. Just so good, right? Well, it's also such an artful way of getting him out of the classroom because yeah. they had a great new arc for him. Yeah. But they let him really have that Oh, Captain, My Captain Swan song. Yeah, because as he leaves, the students go from vindictive to 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 tearful and and captain my captain for sure yeah he had changed all their lives as much as he wanted to and as much as they didn't want to mm -hmm. was the sense and it was beautiful mm -hmm. yeah 
Um, I wonder if those equations check out. I have a feeling based on the specificity that is the show. Mm -hmm. Someone made sure they did, but I would love to hear from you, the listeners. Um, absolutely. Let us know uh, if you are uh, able to correct the math on the, on those chalkboards. Oh, oh God, I'd love to hear that. Um, and then back to recording studio where Midge and Susie and Thomas and the producer once more are at it and they're offered a paid gig um, on the way out. They don't seem too hesitant, even when they hear that it's for a politician. We'll find out later what that means. Mm -hmm. And then we're at the hospital where Dr. Benjamin is taking a call and slightly maybe having some fun and flirting with the nurse Maureen that I love. And uh, Rose appears, blindsides Benjamin at work to apologize for her error in setting him up with Midge. Man, mm. does he let her off easy. He does. He does unintentionally twist the knife, though, at, I mean, at the end. It's such a great button. Um, don't feel bad. I'm very, very rich. It's not helping. Yes. <laughs> yeah, when that's right. Rose says you bought it. And is it true you bought a townhouse for you and Midge? Mm -hmm. I'm very, I'm very rich. Oh, my. Um, and then back to Abe and Asher on the phone. Asher has tracked Abe down to reply, nay, yell at him for the excerpt from about him in a book Abe's threatening to publish. Mm -hmm. That back and forth between those two, that once again, the timing of their argument. Yeah. Is just elegant. And the editing. Sure. But not really, actually. That's. This is what I love about working on this show. And I've, I say, you know, I sound hyperbolic, but I'm not just saying these things because I'm on a podcast about the show and these people give me jobs. What really frustrates me as a theater actor mm -hmm. is that in, in television, they think that everything can be done in the editing room. Mm. And they don't bother getting the timing right. And I think for comedy, you can do some of it in the editing room, but you can't do all of it. And that's the wonderful thing about the show is that they make everybody get the timing right. Faster, funnier, always. Mm -hmm. Do you get told faster? It's the only note I received. Okay. Okay, good. Pace it up. Yeah. 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 I'm um, not, I, at some point I was just, you know, I would ponder to myself, am I not getting performance notes because I'm beyond repair? <laughs> There had to have been something in five seasons that could you do this, this less, more something. Nope. Just pace it up. Uh, <laughs> it didn't matter how much I paced it up. It still needed to be paced up more. But I agree with you 100%. In fact, I think it almost is a throwback to Hitchcock and some others where they would cut in camera as they're writing, you know. What is that cut in camera as they're writing? So they're doing? shooting when they will shoot it. Mm -hmm. They're doing the editing while they're shooting it. They uh, know okay. they know what the timing and the pacing right. is. And it actually that began on page. So that when you shoot it, the timing is crystal clear in the writing. And then when you are in post editing, that timing, once again, is crystal clear, G giving agreement to what you're suggesting about. They know the timing so well unlike so many other shows. 
mm-hmm. that, it, that it isn't saved in post. It isn't created mm-hmm. in post. It's nor is it the final rewrite, which many directors love about post. It it's is not simply, the endless. Um, it's not the endless prison of shooting more and more coverage. Ugh. Too, because when you know what you want, you're not wasting getting all these. Oh, let's get a waster mm-hmm. on her and a close that's up. The, and yeah, that's the cutting in camera, also on the page, which means you you design it in such a way that exactly as you just said, we don't need mm-hmm. coverage. We don't need three different types of performances. We needed to get it exactly right <laughs> a when couple you, of times. Have you ever worked with Steven Soderbergh? I just did recently. Oh, cool. Well, was he like, was he the DP and the director and mm-hmm. the editor and the cop- camera operator and mm-hmm. craft service? Because I, I, when I worked with him, he was service. doing everything. Yeah. But it made it really efficient because he knew what he wanted and he didn't have to say, oh, well, I've got to get this for the editor. He's everybody. So he can just shoot what he wants and move on. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Everything. And also it's all about the writing and then it's all about the casting. And then if you're able to cast the way you want, then you don't have to talk so much on set. Honestly. <laughs> about yes. it. Yes. Yeah. You I get don't... the right people. And, yeah. and look, it's good to hash out some things, but what I read a great quote. I can't remember who wrote this, that the, a lot of the great acting is unconscious. We not even have... choices made. Yeah. <laughs> you just even... get in the you just get in the zone. Yeah. Of, or being present mm-hmm. or being in the moment. Um, and able to get out of your own way and actually be the character who's who's saying these words without thinking. And then yes. Yeah, that's kind of the most magical, right? Yeah, then, I don't really like to talk about what my character's thinking, ugh. yeah, you know, or well, there's something breakfast. about no, there's something about their pace on this show that also removes overthinking any moment and overthinking anything ever, because all you're thinking about is I have to say this faster and not be the reason we're going again. Mm-hmm. Which, as you mentioned earlier about the crew and everyone wanting to get it right. I, when you said that, it dawned on me, oh, they feel the same way. They don't want to be the reason we're going again. No, right? no one wants to. No one, yeah. It's not just me yeah. in my little myopic world of the scene. It's right. all of us. All of yep. us don't want to be the reason we're going again. Yeah. Um. So Susie, we're back at her apartment and um, this is where she gets on the phone. And uh, we see mom being carted off to a nursing home. This is your guy's scene next. Oh, oh, I already took us there. Now we're back there. I love it. Well, yeah, we 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 certainly talked about it. And then be, including being on the on set for your off camera lines. Is that when you got dinner of clams when you actually shot on camera yes. or when you had to come off camera? We got clams when Alex had to come do my off camera. Right. In the Alex. actual Rockaways? I think we went to, am I getting, I'm terrible with geography, but I think we went to Sheepshead Bay. Is that close? 
am I just making, no, I think I went to Sheep's Head Bay to get clams in a limo on my 30th birthday. We went to a, a clam place in the Rockaways. I'm mixing hey. those two things up. Hey, they're both great memories. I have a feeling. They are. They yeah. are. Um, yeah, everybody, the whole crew went to this clam place and we just got a bunch of great Rockaway Clams Casino and everyone, you know, I mean, that's also what I enjoy about the show is that um, Amy and Dan have a great sense of celebration. Mm. In in the theater, we tend to hang out more and go get drinks more, and you just don't yeah. see that as much in the in the TV world. You don't, and so especially these road mm-hmm. trips, mm-hmm. these mini road trips. But you're right; there is a sense, and yeah, I've gotten together for dinners with the Maisel cast more often than any show or movie I've ever done. Really? For sure. For sure. Oh yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Oh yeah. That's what I'm in it for. I, I love the acting. But I also just love the the fucking around on set. Sure. Just hearing the stories, you know? Yeah, you can also tell, I don't know that we talked about on the podcast about the difference between working on a project where people rush back to their trailers or dressing rooms versus mm. they just hang out on set in their in their room or area that where their director chairs are set up and sometimes have to be told, you know, we're not going to get to you for like an hour if you want to go back to your room because you're just hanging out yeah chewing the fat although some i do take a picture every now and then when we are all gathered in that area and all eight are on their phones oh that that happens too in a 12-hour day yes yes i mean that's that's life i mean usually when we're all sort of following the same ridiculous news story well we did i remember waiting in line for the payphone during break mm -hmm. oh yeah Sure. We've been around long enough for that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I'm older. We we uh, had to depend on Morse code in the early days. The smoke sig- signals, right? Uh, well. Semaphore. Like I'm not that old. <laughs> uh, back to Shirley and Moish's home, where it's a big family gathering, the Weissman Briss. This was. Oh, God. With Moish and, and his son, Joel, making a bet on who's going to pass out when the Moyle brings out the blade to, we need more Jews, we don't have a minion. Oh, Joel's... how br- brilliant was that, um, no lines, the milkman. Ah, come on. It's just you incredible. Know, you never think about. I love that there was a Jewish milkman because when you ever think about the milkman, you just think like, wasp that's right little america you know you don't think about a nice jewish boy milkman oh no 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 it's it's the word milk i think it throws you it's not yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's a uh something in the dna um and astrid you know justine loop is just so goddamn good Virtuosic in this episode. Well, well said. Perfect. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. And that's a lot to chew. Oof. Oh, yes. And not chew. Yes, absolutely. And not chew. Yeah. The, what's 
what's your characters always... kind of mm-hmm. arch, arch you know it it there there there's the potential to cross the line all the time with her character because she's a little crazy as as written mm-hmm. and and the show is the heightened reality let's let's be clear so and justine just is masterful in that tightrope oh i mean none of us are there to whisper to each other like we're on a procedural mm-hmm. that's what i like where everybody's i really don't like when people use the word big mm-hmm. i don't People are always thinking, saying to us theater actors, oh, you're going to be too big on camera. I don't see Tony Shalhoub being too big on camera. I don't see Cherry Jones to be too big. Yeah, Tony's mm -hmm. very, very specific in his big so that it's just- As are you. Mesmerizing and compelling. Well, thank you. Um, But it's, it's nice that we get to, you know, people are animated in life. Yeah, I like being able to really inhabit mm-hmm. these these people, and I don't want to say play to the rafters, but I mean, you know, we we put it out there. It's as you say, heightened. I like, I like, uh, I like to dig my teeth into it, sink my dig my heels, whatever Especially it is, sink my when, teeth. Yeah, when you're allowed to, when you're mm-hmm. encouraged to, within the world that they've created it's a joy to not have to restrain oneself it is and everyone seems to find that spot that sweet spot um yeah it's crazy it's crazy i i uh it's just such a gift and i will never ever ever take it for granted Um, This scene ends in the kitchen where Abe overhears Midge rehearsing in the kitchen for an ad she's going to record later for this politician Mm -hmm. who ends up as Abe presses to be Ms. Phyllis Shafley. And Abe explains why this is a really bad idea. What's Uh, funny is that there was another show that Phyllis Shafley was on as a character at the same time as this. She was having a she was having a real moment, a moment. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, a limited series about the um I want to say the Gloria Steinem days. Yeah, I that's the one. Yeah, at the magazine. We're not good, I'll put it in the wraparound. Um the recording studio where Midge is to in fact record this political ad, and she's got a problem with that. Uh, and it just sort of unfolds organically and naturally in the writing and performing of of the realization and how Midge once again stands up to what's right and wrong, regardless of the job opportunity. You know, I, one thing I did write down was um, how depressing, though, you know, the themes of anti-Semitism run through um, this episode, Secret Kingmakers and Mm, Sound Like America. Mm -hmm. Gosh, it's depressing that we're still dealing with that. Yeah. That's an evergreen. Yeah. (laughs) I'm afraid. Yeah. 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 
It is. Um, but I read a really interesting takedown of the show that was saying that saying that the show presented Jewish stereotypes. <laughs> and yeah, I, we we've all um, been made aware of this over the seasons and we just laugh. I mean, I do. Because it's so absurd. I mean, even as a design of a retort. Um, yeah. I mean, what is, okay, I guess I want to know what you're, I mean, I suppose technically, I, my name is Jewish, my family's Jewish, but I, they gave it up. Mm -hmm. um, they gave it up in the in the early 20th century. So I guess I, I can't really speak on that. But So I would like you to, I'd like you to speak on that. I'd like to know how you how you feel about that about saying about anyone cr critiquing the show for being for celebrating or enhancing stereotypes of jewish mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. well a it's not a documentary b it's completely fictionalized and three in 1959 or 60 when this story takes place mm -hmm. um you know we're going back in time to to recapture the sentiment of the people of 1960 and um there were a great many stereotypes as they are called now that were unfolding in real time and it's only in retrospect that they are, were considered stereotypical but in the moment they're just real this is the way people talk this is the way people dressed. These are the things those people said. You don't have to like it in current day if you're offended. Uh, uh, oh, well. Um, and it has nothing to do with being woke or, or cancel culture or sensitivity. Uh, to me, when you're talking about a period piece, you know, well, I'm not even saying that a movie or a TV series in 1959 or 60 didn't represent blah 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 or a or a so if you do a period piece that you're shooting in 2019 20 21 22 about 1960 you want to be authentic to the time and if you kowtow to such conversation of of fearing stereotypes then you're not representing what exactly was happening in the time then you're you're editing and censoring yourself which is the death of art. I have a friend who said that she watches with her parents who grew up at this time and they're constantly saying, oh my God, how did they know that we used to sing that song? Just all these little touches mm -hmm. that were their experience. Yeah. But, you know, I was struck in this episode, I thought about that critique because I thought, you know, people, they, they, Amy and Dan are addressing that actually. Yeah. I oh, know they're, addressing mm -hmm. a great many things yeah mm. and the and also the um the sexism continually but in the um the season two episode we were talking about if i can jump around for a second sure sure just what i love is that it's, it's always so funny and it's it, and it's um it's it's part of the they present this the these things as part of the fabric of the reality of that time which people just accepted like um at the art exhibit when there's mm -hmm. just a little tiny broom closet for the female artist. Yeah. Which is, I just went to a 20th century 
I was in Berlin a few years ago. I went to a retrospective of modern art in the 20th century, and there was not a single woman mm-hmm. in that entire exhibit. Right. So if you were to do a limited series about that time, and you, in fact, showed what you just said, and a, a modern person took offense... How am I supposed to react other than sorry for you? Well, so- I mean, but, but I'll say what Amy and Dan does is really clever, though, because they didn't ignore that there were women making art. I think you can choose in your storytelling. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't have to just tell those stories. And that, I think that's what Amy and Dan do. They, they said, yes, there were these amazing artists and they represent, you know, um, name checking Rauschenberg and Jackson Pollock. But let's remember that there were female artists practicing too. It's, yeah. a, it's one of my favorite moments of the entire series is at the end of that first art gallery scene, you see Yoko Ono. Yeah. We talked about that. It's great. We isn't about it? That up Not on everyone ladder. catches it. Yeah. I With actually gr- went to apple. her um, retrospective and went up on the top of that ladder wow. in MoMA. And that's how John Lennon first met her. He went to the top of that ladder and he said, yes, I'm sure you know. And he said, well, I want to meet this person. Created this. The rest is history. Yeah. And, you know, for Amy and Dan to just have our central characters in the scene walk out of the scene and we stay on Mm -hmm. a small Asian woman dressed in black holding a green apple. Yeah. Yeah. Nice ladder. Or something to that effect. Right. Right. Yes. Um, yeah, I could go on too long and ultimately get canceled for how I feel about those comments. Well, you, like when they said the character of Miriam Maisel was a bad mother. Yeah. Yeah, she was. She loved her kids, but she was also in a myopic journey of of finding herself and her future and her life and her career. And she loved her children, but there are more <clears throat> children of famous people from show business that that either survived through therapy or didn't because of their neglected parents than you could ever shake a stick at. So, yeah, we went ahead and portrayed that. So everyone who writes, she's such a horrible mother. OK, no. you know, but no one's talking about the, the father that. I mean, right. men can just go and do their thing and no one's even thinking about, wait, they have kids at home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I like to call this part of my career, this part of my career, Mothers on the Edge. Mm-hmm. Nice. I play a lot of problematic mothers and <laughs> people have some very, very mm. strong feelings about that. Oh, oh, do they? Oh, yes, but they it- do. And I know because now Instagram, people can just message me and sometimes I wade into that swamp and... Don't do it. Yeah. Don't but then guess. sometimes there's people I like I want to talk to in there. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. But yeah, don't do it. I try not to do it. Yeah. Hey, let's go back to the old Weissman apartment. I That's know. I keep bouncing around. No, no, no. It's okay. This is your My, show. No, no. I enjoy the digression as much as me uh, insisting on getting it back on track. I like both. All of it. This okay. is the this is the bully base that makes me happy. Um, and forgive me for forcing us back on track so you we'll go know. back to the they old it. weissman apartment where midge wants to see the old place and antonio and mm. jerry the doormen are all too happy to help her one of which goes up the elevator 
And she walks into the space and then sort of spaces off and hears these memories and these voices of her family when they live there. And it's just so heartbreaking. But you also hear the family that's living there and the kids are just horrible. Uh, just like you we were saying, we yeah, have this. I, I think that Amy and Dan are also subverting because unfortunately so much material we have from the 50s just presents this idealized mom mm -hmm. i like they show yeah they were leaving the baby the baby in the car mm. <laughs> they were yelling at their kids and yeah. and that they, people still do that yeah yeah yes you're even allowed dare i say to spank them um don't go there so from I'm not, here no, i'm not going there uh we go to finally the, um, uh, let's see, I'm getting a note from our dear Ken. He is in at this very moment, uh, uh, North Carolina where sweet, sweet hurricane Ian is having its way. Um, I have an ex named Ian. So it really, really, <laughs> really makes sense to me. Also created water damage. <laughs> um, is he okay? Yeah. He's fine. He would like us to wrap it up. <laughs> okay. Can I say one thing before sure, we wrap sure. it up? Okay. So I just want to tell you that working on this show was also a little strange because I only ever work with Alex. Mm -hmm. I come to the read through and I, there'd just be this phalanx of incredible actors. And I yeah. would feel kind of intimidated and also I didn't really know people right and a huge day for me a huge day was when you came up to me and um said some kind things about my work I actually bragged about it immediately Aww. afterwards so I just wanted to say thank you for making me feel so welcome and it just you know from coming from from somebody of your talent to for that to be recognized meant a lot to me and to also just to be asked to be on the podcast. I mean, I'm not in every, you know, I'm not in every episodes like the other cast members. So it was, it, thank you. Oh, well, listen, thank you for saying all of that. Very beautiful and, and heartfelt to receive as well. Um, you know, the show's female centric and I want to have on, all the important women who worked in front of and behind the camera and you're are one of them. So yeah. Thank you for being here. I, I don't want to leave out the Barrymore theater final scene. I want to encourage oh, people to celebrate this scene because it's the unraveling of a piece of talent who resorts from fear to their, to their comfort zone right on Broadway stage in front of everyone. This meltdown is just, and uh, I'm going to talk to Carrie Elwes next week. His, Gavin, the actor on stage, just having to put up with this is just so beautifully articulated and, and, and performed and executed. And the argument, the fight, this is where Alex Borstein becomes one of the great dramatic actors when she mm -hmm. uh, tears down Sophie Lennon in front of the theater after this debacle, uh, brought to tears herself and talking about Midge. And 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 Sophie and says to Sophie, "You're a star for now," and then points at Midge and says, "But she's going to be a fucking legend." Oof. And right? she will. Yeah. And she will. But how beautiful! 
you know, it's just not every television show where the sh- the, the the show within the show is Strindberg too. <laughs> I, I just love what they quote um, mm-hmm. just in a single episode, you know, we're like, wow, we've got like Strindberg, Lewis Carroll, Shakespeare. Oh, it's I ridiculous. mean, yeah. And Phyllis Shockley. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing what they, um, I, I just want to live in those brains. I know. Well, here's to the next one. Yes. Right? Uh, this, this, this season, I don't know what's happening anymore, but it was pretty exciting. Well, I don't. I try to forget everything, too. So right. I can't wait to see it. Um, thank you so very much, honestly and truly, Emily. And um, it's truly my pleasure. Um, congratulations again on doing incredible work in this incredible show and for sharing some of it and your experiences with us on this hopefully incredible podcast. Oh, I'm, I am, um, I look forward to listening to this as I'm um, scraping hardened mac and cheese off the plate. <laughs> Here, here's to that and many more of it. Um, thank you very, very much. Well, how about that? How about, I love Emily Bartle. She's something. She's a rare talent um, that I loved meeting, getting to know. We didn't have any scenes together, but um, how about that? How about that conversation? Write to me at mymrsbazelpod at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought of it. If you have any follow-up questions or comments, I would love to hear from you. I always do. And Happy New Year to you or whenever you're listening to this. I hope it's a wonderful day or night. Um, Yeah, love to hear from you. Write to me. Tell everyone you've ever met about the podcast. You ready? You ready to go to the mailbag? All right, let's do it. Ah, the old mailbag. Yes, indeedy. Here we go. Hey, Kevin and Jamie. Oh, look at that. Jamie was mentioned in the opening. Uh, Jamie, my better half, who's a research producer on this here pod. Uh, Hey, Kevin and Jamie. Blair continues. This is from Blair. We were hooked on MMM from the beginning. I think getting to hear the behind-the-set stories makes the episode so much more real. Even though you all had sets built, when you are in the real world, it's more magical. So, the scenes with Midge and Benjamin driving home from the Catskills was actually not three hours from the city? Oddly, it's it's my old commute home and my girlfriend's current drive. I even saw some of the yellow signs near home. We geeked out as they drove past the lake, but when they showed up at McSorley's, we were floored. We have been going there for years and have to recreate a shot from there. Okay, good. That sounds fun. So my real question is, set or location? Second question, which do you prefer? Follow-up, maybe this would be good for Zachary since he's done CGI and can compare the three and light or dark. Hmm. Love the show, podcast, Willow, and you need to do more Peter Falk impressions. Thanks, stay safe and sane, Blair. Well, uh, Zachary, in an earlier episode of this podcast, does talk about driving uh, from the Catskills. But no, they did not drive three hours back to New York. Absolutely not. 
McSorley's was uh, real. And, um, yeah, we were out there. We were shooting everything out there. So all the Catskills stuff that took place out there, we found practical sets. I don't think there was even any pickup shots back on the stages. There were a few things, as have been discussed in this podcast previous episodes, there were a few things that were shot away from the camp, the resort, the Scott family resort where we shot. Um, I believe in Prescott, New York, was what we landed on. Um, but yeah, we we shot everything up there, and it was fantastic. And in terms of your question, which do I prefer... Ooh, I tell you, there's something magical about shooting on the set just as an employee who goes to work and it's on sound stages. It's at a place. It's also hearkening back to an old time Hollywood where you drive onto a lot and shoot on the sound stages. Very romantic in that regard. Um, but being on location at a real place. Yeah, tough to beat. Tough to beat. I may always choose that as a creative environment because then it's more real right yeah for sure good good questions thank you so much blair all right uh that's our program for today thank you all for tuning in uh next episode is a two-parter for the season finale of season three and i got us we got i got a winner i got a big winner it's a uh return visit from Shirley Maisel, Caroline Heron. Yeah, next two episodes, part one and two, as we break down season three finale. Until then, be kind to each other, please. I will see you in my dreams. Okay, closing credits time. My Mrs. Maisel pod was created by me, your host, Kevin Pollack, research writer, producer, Jamie Fox, and our engineer, recording, post-production producer genius is Ken Plume. My Mrs. Maisel pod is brought to you by the fine folks at Q-Code. Q-Code. Sounds like something, doesn't it? Oh, lastly, you should know... I'm told by legal to make this crystal clear that my Mrs. Maisel pod was not sanctioned in any way, shape, or form by Amazon Prime, nor the show's creators, Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino, although I feel the need to mention I did get their blessing. Okay, good. That should save me some legal fees. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. 
a mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Everyone needs a break from the real world. That's why we played games as kids, and that's why we should play games as adults. I'm Troy Lavalley. And I'm Joe O'Brien. And back in 2015, we started a podcast called The Glass Cannon Podcast, a show made up of comedians and actors playing a fantasy role-playing game. And now is the perfect time to start listening because we just started a brand new story. It's basically Lord of the Rings meets Game of Thrones meets X-Files. Search for The Glass Cannon Podcast on your podcast app of choice. Hey, life is hard, so come play pretend with us.